0: We welcome you to the Learning Forward podcast, season 10, episode 16. I am Anvesha, your meet and greet podcast host at My Good School. History narrates tales of courageous, brave, patriotic men who sacrificed their necessities to fight for a more significant cause. Still, while highlighting the men down the ages, we often undermine the women of the past who had performed more dangerous deeds and fought for causes which ameliorated the lives of later women. In our podcast, Dr. Dipti Mehrotra, author of her stories, Indian Women Down the Ages. Dr. Dipti is one of those rare people who has been vociferous about the lives of Indian women. She has paid these marginalized ladies tremendous respect by extensively writing about their rebellions and difficulties. Would you like to speak a few words about your book, life and love for history, ma'am? Yeah, thank you, Anvesha, for that introduction. And, um,
1: yeah, Uh, this book, as uh, you've mentioned, is about women of the past. It's called, Her Stories, Indian Women Down the Ages, Thinkers, Workers, Rebels, Queens. So, I've covered a very wide range of women. As you can see, they were um, right from being actually different castes, different classes, different religions, uh, different parts of the country. So most of the states of the country are covered. Um, And uh, the women are rebels all of them, all of them are rebels, all the women here. Uh, So they were going against the established patriarchy, the established expectations from women and this has meaning for us today. It has meaning for women today and for men today, for girls and for boys, because we are all it's about gender concerns all of us Uh, those who have more power in their hands and those who are still repressed and suppressed so in looking at stories of rebellious women uh, incredible stories who have women who have fought and who have managed to achieve Something. Many of these are writers. Many of these have written um, verses that are still sung by, for instance, Janabai in Maharashtra or um, Andal in Tamil. So, so these are uh, um, women who are remembered. Their works. Mir- Mirabai is also here. So, what I'm looking at is not necessarily well-known women or women who are not well-known. I'm looking at the inner meaning of their stories. I'm trying to understand what they faced and how they battled it in their personal lives. What kind of a human being was Mirabai or Gulbadan, the first woman historian that we know of in India. Gulbadan was the first 16th century. She wrote a history. I read that history. We can all read it. It's easily available in English. It is so very interesting because Gulbadan's history has the inner stories of empire, of the Mughal empire. Ab- Abul Fazal wrote the external history. This is the history of kings and wars. Um, Gulbadan also writes about kings and wars. Her father was Babar, her, uh, so, so her brother was Humayu, her uh, um, uh, Anis, a, a nephew was Akbar. And uh, she was there through all the three reigns of these three uh, Mughal, Mughal. Um, Emperors. So Gulbadan writes about the empire from the perspective of an insider and she she writes about personalities, about human beings, about wars but also about picnics, she writes about relationships. There are so many people in Gulbadan's history, so many people and it becomes so interesting, much more interesting than the histories that are usually told which are only of kings and wars. So, uh, what what I beg like to kind of submit is that this is actually very interesting history. This is completing history. It is a completion of the histories we are fed, you know, the official histories. And therefore, meaningful for all of us to understand what is our nation, what is India. Yeah, because India was also the women who rebelled against the And these were the queens, but they were also the working women. There were many working women in this, uh, uh, Onaka Abave of Karnataka or uh, Nangeli of Kerala. Uh, Janabai herself, so well-known. Her abhangas are still sung in Maharashtra by lakhs of people. She was a maidservant all her life. So these stories, how did she manage as a maidservant to be a poet of such merit? What is her poetry? You know, each of these characters, when you go into it, you find them subverting the patriarchy very powerfully. So that's what I'm getting at, because we need to do that today as well. The patriarchy is very powerful today as well. And these invisible women are actually, they, they, they
0: mirror our own invisibility very often. Thank you, ma'am. It's excellent having you here. All the women narrated in the tale are a rebel in a unique sense, simply because they refused to keep quiet, fought against the unjust practices of society, and denied the secondary roles. Ma'am, what was the process that went behind writing this beautiful novel? How did you discover women whose names were unheard of and recollect their contributions which were till now forgotten? Thank you, Anisha. This is actually um,
1: something that over the years, maybe decades, it's been close to my heart to, to discover um, invisible women who have, because they have said so much and done so much, all the more there's a backlash and they are repressed very often in official histories. So, um, But you will find their evidence because many of them wrote, somewhere people are still singing them, um, somewhere they, they're sanitized, the image is sanitized like Mirabai you'll see wearing white and so on um, but you also have many th- different images of Mirabai uh, her dancing on the streets, her singing on the streets her challenging the um, yeah, the, the priesthood in, uh, in, in uh, Mathura, in Vrindavan and so on and challenging the whole Rajput, the patriarchy you know, that. so when you look at something like Meera bai is well known, so I'm just uh, in the short book you know, um, to bring out some of the reasons why I chose somebody like Meera bai here, although she's so well known. There's the story that she died in the temple in Gujarat. We all know this kind of story. You know, that Meera Bhai um, finally passed away. She merged with Krishna's statue in the temple. Now, did yes. she merge with Krishna's statue? You know, we we are also asking that question in today's scientific age, and um, there is an alternative version, which is that the, she was so well known by then, she was so influential by then, that the, from Chittorgarh there was a Rajput contingent who came, Rajput and Raman perhaps, and to take her back to Chittorgarh. Yeah, there is also this history written somewhere. So I kind of. I haven't created new histories. I have been very true to, to um, evidence or to um, sources, but I have looked at alternative sources which are available to say, that sounds possible. That sounds plausible, you know, but actually they came to take her back and she committed suicide maybe. So there is the story that she she was actually jumped into the sea there or, you know, so, um, there, there is, And if you look at another story in this book, much less known, a woman called Kanhopatra, also a singer, also a saint poet like Mirabai um, in Maharashtra, she did, that story is very clear that she died in the temple of Pandharpur because the, mobili- the nobility of a particular nobleman had had his eyes on her and was coming to kidnap her and take her away. And there was nobody and nothing who could prevent it. So uh, I have actually, it's the perspective I come with, which is a feminist historiographic perspective. It is, um, this is a feminist scholarship. We have um, very, very, um, you know, uh, well-researched feminist uh, sociology, feminist history, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I'm in that line because it's the perspective that differs when one looks at Queens uh, one doesn't immediately think that they are ambitious as over ambitious ruthless as many of the um, official histories just label queens as ambitious over ambitious ruthless so and i can go into examples of that so, so to uh, you know wrap up answering your question i chose women um, who are many of them already well known like there's lakshmi bai here Everybody in the country knows her. She's the one woman everybody knows. Um, but um, I also look at Dhalkari Bhai with her. Dhalkari Bhai was a Kori caste, um, that's a weaver caste, a Dalit caste woman who actually in the local histories she led the, the, the army, the women's army that um, she helped uh, Rani Lakshmi Bai put together the women's army. And um, so there are accounts of that in the folk stories, the folk tales, the folk songs of the area. And these were gathered by no less a personage than Devi. She went to that area and researched it. So so one looks at different, you know, and others now are researching it, Dalit historiography. So when I say feminist historiography, this is, um, looking at history from those who have not been looked at and that includes the Dalits, that includes the working class, um, that includes maybe minority religions. So, uh, yeah, so so this is how I chose one. They could have been, you know, from a few thousand others that one could have chosen.
0: Yeah. Thank you, ma'am. Women in history were indeed extraordinary, but there was a standard tie to them which made them ordinary simultaneously. These women came from diversified backgrounds, yet they beautifully blended into a plethora of power. Ma'am, how were you inspired to write these stories and what set up that spark for you? Yeah, that's a very interesting kind of area that you've touched. Um, uh, they were
1: a, a, a ordinary and extraordinary. So if you if you look at this in terms of a private public divide, the public is usually what is uh, considered uh, worthy of historical record. Um, the private is considered something that is to be kept out of uh, history, you know, that, and private is, however, the domain where, they, where women come in much more. Now, the, the way that I look at it, and many others today look at it, is that the private and the public are both open to interrogation, are both open to investigation, and the ordinary woman, or the extraordinary woman, Almost all, 99%, perhaps, are invested still, even if they're public figures um, doing extraordinary things, they are also still invested in the household, in children, in um, being mothers or in being aunts. Or, and they're also invested in being I mean, daughters, of course, before that. They're also invested in perhaps um, running households or running palaces or, you know, like Jahanara or, yeah, but they were also interested in what is called the private domain and they had important roles to play there so they continue to be ordinary in the sense they also even if it's a very very powerful queen like Jahanara or Harkha Begum or um, Durga uh, or um, you know Rani Abakka in Puduland uh, they continue to or Jindan of Punjab and uh, they continue to still go through some of those um i said the investment in household roles and what are called the feminine roles but also invested in or also victims to or subject to uh, violations subject to being um, you know a slander so somebody as powerful as Dida rani Dida of kashmir she ruled for about 50 years in kashmir about a thousand years ago She was an excellent queen. That all the she brought stability to the kingdom. She, but uh, to to the region. But um, she is called over ambitious. She's called ruthless. She's called. uh, um, There is a rumor that um, she had a. She was single. She had a long-standing affair with one of her ministers called Tunga. So this thing of a woman having affairs because she is, you know. In the public eye, uh, women's personal um, life, uh, desires, sexualities, um, being subject to public scrutiny. I mean, if you look at kings, invariably they have multiple wives, they have multiple concubines, they have multiple, you know, women in their life. Nobody, no historian, has asked any question about that. You show me a historian, an official historian, who has asked question that. But but here is one woman. And you find this for Rani Jindan of Punjab also, you know, they became queens or regents because their sons were minor only because their husbands died. Okay, so they are single. Now they're single, so they're all the more subject to this kind of calumny. you know, this kind of slander. And the British did this to Rani Jindan. They said she is this and she is that and she has this affair. Rani Jindan was this incredible woman. I mean, you know, it's like, I can't believe these stories sometimes, but it's only when I read them that I say, oh my, I mean, how do we not know this? That Rani Jindan, the youngest um, queen of Maharaja Ranjit Singh, she fought the Brit, um, you know, she fought like a lioness. She fought like a a tiger, you know, she, uh, they had to drag her away from the Lahore palace and put her into a um, fort. And even from that fort, she, uh, because there were her maids that she had, there were her retinue, she, I mean, she was this queen, you know, They, they let her have her maids. They let her have her priest come in and meet her. And through that she kept rebellion alive, you know. So this is the 1850s, early 1850s, um, 1840s. or maybe. And so she was part of the lead-up to 1857. They dragged her away from that Punjab fort and brought her to the fort of Chunar, you know, a thousand kilometres away. Fort of Chunar is at Banaras, and kept her there under Heavy um, surveillance, you know. I mean, it's all described the layers of guards and so on. And one British officer who had to come and see her every day. She escaped out of that. I mean, it's like an unbelievable story how she escaped. She dressed as her tailor woman and yes. she went out, you know, and she uh, dressed as some, she called herself Parvati. She dressed in ordinary clothes and she walked up to Kathmandu, up to Nepal. There were a lot of pilgrims going up to Nepal from that Banaras side, and she she did that. She that's recorded history because she was then under she was um, she went to the Rana, the king of Nepal, and she was provided a residence because they they you know they had relations with Punjab, they knew you know they, they they respected that. So there's so many stories there. From there, she kept up rebellion, you know she had been separated from when you say ordinary these are her extraordinary activities the ordinary was she was a mother her her eight-year-old son the uh, Dalip was snatched away from her the brits put him in a british couple's care and then he was taken to england and he knew nothing of his sikh background his uh, hair were cut he was he didn't know any gurbani any punjabi and um, she later to wind up this story to this is to give you an illustration of you know what it is that um that why it's important to know these women's stories uh, um because they're so invisible and yet they're so important um she from the from nepal kept fighting and and up to 80 the british gave her many kind of strictures that you can't continue they said to the runner of nepal don't give her you know refuge so there was all this going on and -and so-and-so is coming and meeting her she's still um, you know she was uh, in touch with prisoners in Allahabad she was okay now 1857 happens 1857-58 there is the defeat of the Indian forces um, the first war of independence what was called the Sepoy mutiny Um, she realizes that we are defeated there's no point carrying on she's also frail she's aging she's very unwell she then agrees to the British. They've been saying for well, years, you stop your activities. You can come back and live in India, never in Punjab. You can never go to the Punjab, but you can come and live in India. She said, okay, I will not do any more rebellious activity. I want to meet my son. I mean, look at the story. It's true. I want to meet my son. And he came from England. And she, she was brought to Calcutta. they met in calcutta she was shocked to see that he doesn't have a pagri you know she thought he would be like that and uh, that he but uh, she she sailed back with him to england where his home was where he had a wife and children and um, a home and she lived for another year or so she taught him the gurbani she taught him the history of the punjab he became a rebel in his own way he couldn't manage to do anything very much but he uh, he was rebellious, and his daughter Sophia is uh, very well known now, suffragist and rebel. She actually brought her grandmother's ashes from so- Sophia Dalip Singh, brought her grandmother's ashes, um, Rani Jindan's ashes from England to India, and they're now in the Lahore Fort, uh, uh, Lahore, either um, uh, in Lahore with Ran- Ranjit Singh's. Uh, uh, so I can know these two stories, and and they just gripped me. The more I go into it, and I can't believe that we don't know all this. There should be in the history books. There should be movies about it. There should be, you know, real facts are so much more interesting than this, you know, concocted histories of Razia Begum and all her love affairs. You look at the real stuff. Yes, there is love affairs, But look at the real, what, what what was that love affair? What was that woman, you know? What was that human being? The metal and steel there as well.
0: Yes, ma'am, if we say life is all about stories and the fact that you have spread these stories far and beyond is the wonderful aspect of it. So now we have Jugjeev sir and Rishona here to ask questions. I hand it over to Rishona. Good evening, ma'am. Good evening. It has been a pleasure listening to you today. Your thoughts are indeed quite inspirational and fascinating. There should be more information on these stories and we should definitely know more about their lives. According to statistics, nearly 2.4 billion women don't have the same rights as men do. This is indeed a serious issue. As an advisor of the civil organizations and as an author, what changes do you wish to bring about to improve this situation? Was well,
1: it such a... A wonderful question and the answer is so huge i'll try and kind of say it in two or three minutes um, what changes do we do we need um, what changes can we all work towards because uh, um, it needs a lot of collective thinking and collective work and many different people doing many different um you know action for change on different fronts so there are many fronts there is the front of protest and dissent on the roads and on the and that is also very important um i think there's this leading protest going on right now in the country which we're all aware of um so so if we look at violence against women um there are lacks of women suffering that you look at the figures you know there is now some risk some even the census or the family health data or so on and nhfs are collecting these um, you have huge numbers, a huge percentage of women saying that yes, I have suffered even domestic violence. um It's not like two percent; it's uh, closer to uh, a few, you know, uh, maybe fifty percent, sixty percent. I don't have the figures on hand, but it is closer to that. Uh, so, and figures for, of course, when you unpack what is violence against women and the different, uh, the rapes or the emotional violence or the economic violence, or uh, okay, so now a lot of the stories that i have told through history are um they, the women have faced violation they have um, they face violence of different kinds and uh, they have spoken up about it they have protested they have um protested through their songs also they have written about it they have um taken very extraordinary actions against it i mean there are several of the women in this actually are nuns or saints and in a sense, it's very clear from their poetry, like the Buddhist uh, nuns of 2,500 years ago, the Buddhist nuns um, who wrote the first collection of women's poetry in this country, and perhaps in the world, the Terigathas, um, Terigathas, the songs of the elderly nuns, is about 2,500 years old. And you have these songs, they're available to us, in. Uh, they were written, you know, they were set, sung in Pali. They're available to us in English, and you have a women's, uh, you know, a woman letter writing that, of the being beaten, of being and have having left her home because of the hunger and the um, pots and pans that were empty, and about the husband who was um, violent. Yeah, so you have these some of the same dynamics or similar, let me say, never the same dynamics going on over centuries, over millennia. Um, now, she, so so women have found their alternative spaces, say, or made there. The Buddha didn't allow women to come in initially um, into that space, which was a kind of refuge and haven. That women um, kept going and saying, "No, you know, open up this space for us. We want to be living like this. We don't want to be in this domestic space and this world, worldly space." We, we want to be living free and we want to be living a spiritual life and being with, um, you know, a, a life where we are not violated, a life where we can, um, uh, be, you know, our wisdom can emerge and uh, we can feel light and free and happy. And it was because of, uh, you know, that whole story of uh, Gautami's, uh, um, you know, going the third time, that, that was his uh, milk mother and aunt, um, uh, his uh, father's second wife also, his mother's sister also. The Buddha's mother had died soon after his birth, so Gautami was his mother's sister and and a wife of his father and so on, and his mother. So she came thrice and the third time he said, okay, you know, because I respect you so much, you're my mother, you have done so much for me. And that opened the door for, I mean, the story, the Buddhist story, say 500 women joined right after she joined. And then you have somebody that, you know, so many uh, interesting women, you have um, uh, this um, Amrapali joining sometime later, who was, uh, um, we could think of her as a Tawaif, but uh, Ganika it was called. And her joining, her poetry is with us. Her uh, gifting her mansions because the ganikars could own independent property, unlike the grihastha women. Uh, they they owned property. They owned. They were intellectuals. They knew poetry. They could converse. They, could, um, they knew the politics of this. So she had a lot of property independently owned. She had. She gifted all that and uh, to to the Buddhists. So. Um, what we need to do to change things is a very complicated question but a we need to look at these histories also because change is not superficial the change we need has to go very deep because this um, the injustice and the inequality go very deep they're in our structures and they're in our mindsets as well So how do we change all that? So we can begin at so many different fronts, as I said. We begin with education. Very important what you all are doing, working with school children, because that's where the textbooks should include a lot of this. Because rather than, you know, for instance, we say reform movements began in the 19th century. Everybody will say Raja Ram Mohan Roy and Ishwat Chandravitya Sagar. Why do we not know what Pandita Ramabai did? Why do we not say Savitri Bai Phule? There is no reason for not saying Savitri Bai Phule, Pandita Ramabai, and um, others like um, uh, it Rukhaya Sikhavat Hussain. They were all the same, you know, 19th century up to 20, early 20th. The reforms they brought about for gender for women were actually more far reaching and went deeper. Than, uh, than, you know, or they were at least equally important. They not only said, for instance, widow remarriage, they said, widows can have a life. So uh, Pandita Ramabai had, and Savitri Bhai Pule in the mid 19th century, had homes where women and girls were educated, so they could take up careers and stand on their own feet, you know. Many became teachers, many became various things. So they didn't only have remarriage as an option. So so there's something going on where even the histories are androcentric, androcentric meaning, meaning with a male perspective, the histories are written from the same patriarchal point of view, so you blot out those histories, so bringing these histories out is actually a rebellious act in itself, and reading them and spreading them in itself um there are many other i'll just kind of in a way kind of a bullet point of other things we need to do for change we need to work at the police we need to work at law and order we need to work at the political level we need to have more women in parliament in power uh, you have women in panchayats we need to see that these women have the actual power and you need to be able to enforce the laws we have you need to be able to go by the constitution of india for instance on its article 15 etc you need to be, be actually uh, ensure that there are real clear moves towards equality you need to see that if there's an act like FOXO, um, prevention of um, uh, of child uh, sexual abuse that that act is actually uh, you know implemented in practice and uh, these are very tough questions we're seeing that you know on the huge national state that FOXO is not etc and there's all kinds of things going on which um, it seems that patriarchy mixed with power mixed with communal uh, thinking mixed with uh, uh, you know various illusions of um, what india should be a kind of um, idea of indian culture which is very skewed all this coming together has made a very dangerous important mix it's all that that we have we need to be able to keep impacting and keep so the intellectual level is important along with the practical fighting level along with um, being able to also and just the last point here is being able to look after ourselves this is very important you know to to have this is often neglected by activists Um, we need to pay a lot of attention to self-care As women, as human beings, everybody, but here since I'm talking of personal comfort women can do to to change things, to change gender. um, We need to be able to um, say that, okay, you know, live a life which is raising all these pertinent questions, taking action, but also not getting burnt out. And also saying that my life is also important, and can I also develop calm and patience because I need it for myself also? I can't always be angry because that is not good for me. You know, anger is justified, but it's not good for me to always have that anger in oneself. So, it, so, so to be able to keep that anger, but to be also have a calm, tranquil um, uh, kind, of kind of space inside and. Uh, to be able to look after other people, it's very importantly, other women as well, often neglected. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Deepti. Let me just come in here quickly. You've covered a really vast range of uh, topics, and thank you for that. Uh, you know, in the introduction to the to your book, you have said that Jin is your favorite. Uh, you know, is your favorite story in this book, and you also said that you're writing. Uh, a sequel to this thing to this book which obviously will cover the last uh, couple of couple of 100 years i guess so can you tell us who is your favorite in the next book that you're going to <laughs> with your writing Oh, that's a very tough question because it's very difficult to have favorites. Even when I look at all that I've written that Jindan is my favorite, I'm like, oh, but she's not always my favorite. Sometimes there's somebody else there. Raniyabaka okay, you can is my tell favorite. us about somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah in, in the last hundred years. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I would um, I would say, I just off the top of my head, somebody like uh, um, you know, Jadgan Bhai. Jadgan Bhai was uh, uh, known to be a singer and um, uh, she was a th- from a Tavayav category and um, she also made films. Do we know that she made some of the earliest films? and that her daughter Nargis was there as um, a little child in her films and those films are social commentaries, those films are very interesting and I don't know if they're available anymore but reading the little, the little things that are available. Um, she sang very very powerfully and beautifully so uh, the journey of somebody like this and um, there are a number of other singers that I find extremely interesting and uh, theatre artists. So, um, I would include them, somebody like uh, Gulabhai, who uh, was the first uh, woman in the Nautanki genre. So, Nautanki was actual stories like uh, Raja Harishchandra or Harishchandra Taramati sometimes they call it. or um, so, so, those stories which were uh, done in so many different genres throughout the country and which also became the first um, silent film was Harishchandra and so on. So um, she was Taramati in, that is, the wife of Harithi, she she acted as, she was the first woman to act as Taramati in the Nautanki genre. The Nautanki was the most popular genre in the whole North Indian belt uh, from the late, um, let's see, the late 18th, late 19th, late 19th century to the mid 20th century, to around the 1950s, 60s. Um, very, very popular genre. Like lakhs of people would see it. They would come, you know, there would be huge crowds. There would be. So she was a superstar. She was very well known. Golabai, the first woman to come in, because earlier boys and men acted as the women's role So her coming into the Mohanlal's company and then, you know, as a twelve-year-old girl, and then she got the Padmashri at the end of her career. How do you do that, you know? I can't do that, you can't do that, how do you do that? She had the talent, she developed the talent, they learned classical singing, they learned, she also looked after her safety in a, a, you know, her her brothers were bouncers, her father. So the whole histories are very fascinating because you're reading the histories of the communities as well, you know, the Bedia community that she came for. It's all stuff that we should know, you know. <laughs> and I mean, it's, the barriers are known as a community of sex workers today. That the men are pimps and the women are sex workers, but that is true in some some spots. But they are so much more. They were the first. Um, they were da- the women are dancers. The men were, you know, they sing beautifully. They. Uh, now, you know the, the way development has gone, so many of these communi- communities are pauperized So they take to various means of livelihood, uh, which um, uh, which uh, may not be their traditional means of livelihood. But so uh, I would look at people like this. I would also look at more well-known people. Mashaeta Devi is a great favorite of mine and uh, uh, somebody like um, Irun Sharmila or uh, somebody like uh, uh, the, the Gaura Devi who led the Chipko movement in Uttarakhand, uh, ordinary village woman who actually started the first Chipko um, action, which was to hug the trees and save them from being cut with a bunch of other, uh, what are called illiterate, you know, they were not, uh, They were, <laughs> but, but the action they took is just far more wise and sensible than what we highly educated people are doing to the environment. You know, we are destroying it and they're trying to save it. So uh, all these issues are what uh, what what these stories
0: what make the stories of uh, these women very uh, interesting and very important. Thank you, Jibjeev sir, and thank you, Rishona. Also, thanks to you, ditti ma'am, for being here with us. Her stories, Indian women down the ages, is not just a novel, but it keeps safe where the tales and stories of Indian women are preserved. It is a way to hear those unheard of and appreciate their efforts for women at large. The best way to move forward is to look back. We can draw inspiration from these ladies of the past who selflessly gave away themselves to rebel against causes that hindered the development of women. An ode to all these Indian women down the ages. We come to the end of our podcast. Comment below and let us know if you like our podcast. If you want to be a part of similar podcasts, join us. We hope to meet you again soon. That's all for us today. Thank you. Thank you. you. We are here at my good school. Things here are so cool. Together we learn, together we create, together we meditate Everyone is welcome, teachers here are awesome We learn good values, we learn many skills, we soar above the hills Let's shout it out, hey! Let's all be proud, hey! Hats off to my good school. Just what we need, hey, for us to succeed, hey, are all here in my good school.